Hello, and welcome to another episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. I'm your host, Teresa Marks, a Senior Wealth Strategist at CIBC Private Wealth in the U.S. I am joined today by my colleague, Caroline Mackay, also a Senior Wealth Strategist at CIBC Private Wealth. In today's episode, Caroline and I will discuss the Corporate Transparency Act, which is set to go into effect on January 1st, 2024. We will take a look at what the act is trying to accomplish, who must comply with the act, and then some considerations for complying. All right, let's get started. So Caroline, as we get closer to the end of the year, we've been hearing a lot about this Corporate Transparency Act, or some people are calling it the CTA. So I thought it would be helpful to maybe walk through, one, what is the CTA, and what do people need to know in order to comply with the CTA? Um, So could you just start us off with, you know, what is the Corporate Transparency Act? Sure. Uh, The Corporate Transparency Act is a new federal law that impacts owners, principals, and other people deemed to be in control of most small businesses. So that's limited liability companies, that's corporations, both C corporations, S corporations, limited partnerships, and all other closely held entities that have uh, filed with the, or file under state law to create the entity effectively. Um, And the principal purpose of the CTA is to essentially strip U.S. shell companies of anonymity that can hide illicit financial activity or use in financing terrorist activities. Uh, But really what it does is it uh, affects many, many small legitimate businesses who are not shell entities. Uh, So it's a sort of very far-reaching, broad law that encompasses a lot of individuals. But the heart of it is to get down to um, the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, knowing more about uh, who has these entities in the United States. Okay, so it's really about FinCEN, try, or, or the, as you said, the Financial and Crimes Enforcement Network, trying to gather information about these companies in order to kind of prevent hiding funds or illicit uses of funds. So, so they're, casting, they're casting a broad net, it sounds like. Right. And in, in most cases, anyone who's created an entity knows, you know, right now, yes, you go to a um, your state attorney general to create or I'm sorry, the state secretary of state to create a limited liability company or an LLC. And there's some information that you have to provide uh, usually about the, the creators, but it's very limited. And unfortunately, again, because uh, there's there's not a lot of information that has to be provided about the underlying owners of these entities, um, outside forces or or individuals who may not have the best of intentions use the current law to be able to hide a lot of activity behind these companies with people not knowing who are the true uh, organizers or principals who are who are running these entities. Okay, so. Um, so if you own, you know, a limited liability company or a corporation um, or another type of entity that has filed with the secretary of state. So 
presumably you you know whether you've done that for business purposes or for estate planning purposes or as you said illicit purposes you're probably going to get caught up in this rule so what what are the entities you know that that should be thinking about this and you know kind of who's required to report with FinCEN right so as i mentioned the entities that are required to file a report with FinCEN uh, include limited liability companies limited partnerships corporations and any other entities that get created by filing with a secretary of state or a similar office in that state. And this includes both active businesses. So, you know, I'm running my small law firm as an LLC. That's, you know, that's an active business or whether it's a business that was created primarily for estate planning purposes. Maybe that was to hold a family vacation home for a bunch of owners or for asset protection purposes, any of these entities that again have had to file with a secretary of state for its creation is now subject to this law. And it's not just quote unquote active businesses that are having a profit or engaged in making money or for profit. Uh, it's, it's really any just entity out there that owns property or any sort of money in that entity. Okay, so really any asset that's being held in an entity. Yeah. So and I and I should say, sorry, Teresa, this also includes foreign entities mm -hmm. that are registered to do business with in the United States. So again, a foreign business that has gone and, and registered to do business again through a secretary of state's office in a particular state or multiple states would also fall under these rules. Okay. So you know the old adage there's an exception to every rule so i'm assuming right. that you know that there must be some exceptions to this kind of requirement for filing yes so they the fincen has uh, uh released a list uh of of entities or organizations that are exempt from these reporting requirements it the list is a little bit too long and specific to get into you know just in a conversation today but of note uh, charities are exempt um, from this reporting requirement. Large companies, so that is defined as a company with 20 or more employees and that has 5 million or more in revenue. And then entities that are already subject to government regulations, such as banks and insurance companies, they also follow on, fall under this exempt list. Uh, again, this is a new rule. Um, there is a list available for people who want to go online and and read more about this rule and what are the exempt organizations. But I think what we can gather from this exemption is, or what we take away from it is, yeah, there are some exemptions for highly regulated regulated industries and and larger companies. But for the most part, and again, for many of the clients that we work with uh, who have entities, they typically don't fall under these exemptions. So it's important to know that I think many, if not most of our clients that have entities uh, are going to fall under this rule. Okay, I agree. You know, it, they, they seem like a lot of ex exceptions, but when you really get into it, it's they're pretty minimal when you think about the, the large group of entities that are out there. Okay, yeah. so um, what needs to, you know, you mentioned, you know, that we have to file a report. What type of information is the company having to provide or the, the owners having to provide to FinCEN? Right. So first, it's important to know that technically the requirement to file this report um, lies with the entity itself. Okay. Okay. 
But I'm going to caveat that to say that doesn't mean that the owners of the entity or people who are controlling the entity won't have to provide information. But at a high level, it's the company itself that's going to be providing or are filing the report with FinCEN. Um, and again, at a high level, what the FinCEN is looking is first and foremost is first the com company information. So that's going to be the legal name of the entity and, and any trade name. So if they're doing business as, we, we see that often DBA. Um, if a company has a registered name but doing business as another name, they want to know those names. They want the street address for the principal place of business in the United States. Um, and interestingly enough, I believe PO boxes are not going to be allowed. So we have seen that instances where people are looking to sort of, again, hide personal information or entity information by using post office boxes. And as I understand it, PO boxes are not going to be allowed mm -hmm. um, at, at, in terms of using this report. Uh, they're also going to be asking the state or jurisdiction of formation and then a tax identification number associated with the entity. So that's that's the so high that's level. Just the entity. That's just the <laughs> entity. That's just the entity. So, so that's the first part of the report. Um, and then what the company is also required to report is information for each quote unquote beneficial owner. And we can talk about who or who is not a beneficial owner. Uh, probably in a little bit, but high level information for the beneficial owners. So what information is that? That's the full legal name of this an individual who is a beneficial owner, uh, that person's date of birth, birth, their home address. Again, no PO boxes allowed. So home address, um, an identifying number for them uh, from an uh, from an ID. So that could be uh, a non-expired driver's license, um, uh, a U.S. passport, non-expired U.S. passport, another type of U.S. approved identification, or if the individual is not a U.S. citizen or resident, uh, uh, you know, their their identification identification number from their home passport. Okay, their home country's passport. And then again, the name of the state or jurisdiction that I issued that ID, and then an image or a PDF of the identification document itself. Um, so, which most likely I would think in most cases will also contain a picture of that person. Um, so that's that's a lot of personal information to provide, which is, again, very different than the norm for most people who've ever set up an LLC, an FLP, or any sort of organization is um, we've never seen this level of, of information needed to be provided. So, Caroline, you know, all of this information, does this, you know, we talked a little bit about what the reporting companies are. What about, I mean, is there any is this all organizations, both the ones that are already in existence and new going forward? Or, you know, kind of how does that work for, you know, kind of where we are today versus what somebody might do in the future? How does how do these rules work? Yeah, that's a really great question. So this rule applies to all entities, whether they were created 100 years ago, if they are still on the books and in existence and have a dollar of assets in them, it applies to that entity and it applies to all new entities going forward. That being said, um, in terms of when people are going to be required to begin reporting um, to FinCEN on all of this information that we've just sort of outlined, that is a bit different 
um, based on whether you're an existing entity and existing prior to January 1st of 2024, which is right around the corner, or whether you were created after that January 1st, 2024. And we'll talk a little bit more about what what the timing of the reports will be based on those two dates. Well, and, and one thing I was thinking, you know, for those that are created after January 1st, 2024, not only do we have to give information about the reporting company as well as the beneficial owners, but there's also the company applicant. We also have to give information about that going forward, right? Not looking back, but going forward. Yes. So absolutely. So sorry, great point. Uh, I mentioned before, so for entities that existed prior to January 1st of 2024, you have to provide company information and also the information on all the, the beneficial owners. Starting for new entities, so those that created starting in 2024 and thereafter, there also is this requirement that the company applicant also provides their personal information, you know, legal name of legal name, date of birth, their address, their passport information or their ID. So the same sort of information and a company applicant um, can include up to two people. And it's typically the person or people who have helped file the document to first create the entity. So again, a lot of people will use their potentially their attorney to create an LLC. If the attorney is or somebody in their office is filing this paperwork on behalf of their client to create the entity, then there are going to be people in the law firm um, or other organizations that might help people set up LLCs, FLPs. They will also have to do some reporting as well. So Vincent's really asking for a lot of information here on a lot. Of I mean, they models. really want to know who are the players yeah. here. Right. And again, yeah. I think, I think, I mean, I can only speak personally. I, I understand the, I think there's good intentions to this rule mm -hmm. um, because we have seen that people um, leverage the sort of uh, some of our U.S. laws to help do covert illicit activity and hide it all behind entities and usually stacked entities, right? So it's not just one LLC or one corporation. It often can be a corporation owned by an LLC, owned by an LP, you know, and so on. This is really meant to to get through these layers and understand who are the people who are driving the ship here, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, though, it's a very, very wide net cast. So again, as we said at the top, uh, you know, everybody's kind of thrown into the mix, whether or not there's any th reason to, you know, there's no reason to believe there's any illicit activity and these yeah. aren't just standard estate planning things, uh, this this gets caught in the mix. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's go back to beneficial owner. So you mentioned that each beneficial owner has to provide the company with certain information in order to, for the company to file this report. So who is a beneficial owner when it comes to an entity? How do we know, you know, who has to actually, you know, provide the information? Right. Um, and, and, so this is sort of, uh, I would say, something we're all still trying to understand because these are new rules and we're trying to understand how wide of a, a net the beneficial owner definition includes here. What we know right now is, you know, anyone who indirectly or directly owns at least 25% of a reporting company, that's a beneficial owner. So that gets down not necessarily de minimis owners. So again, people who own 1%, 2%, 
something like that, they might not get thrown in here. People who actually own an ownership stake uh, would be in here if they own 25% of the company or more. Um, anyone who directly or indirectly has substantial control over a reporting company. So let's say just for an estate planning um, device in, in the mix here, we have a, a family LLC that owns some family real estate and maybe joint investments. And again, it's done primarily for estate planning purposes uh, to help kind of streamline and organize a family's interests. The manager of that LLC, let's say it's not a family member nor an owner of that LLC, they've hired somebody to oversee the professional management of that entity that would be someone who has substantial control over the reporting company in terms of their management. So we, they also, you know, senior officers of entities. So CEOs, potentially CFOs, um, uh, CIO, like, we, the, 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 again, we're trying to understand how wide of a net is being cast, but the FinCEN rules that they've outlined indicate that they want to know all the players who have, you know, indirect or direct oversight, control, management decisions, um, investment, they, they want to know kind of it all. So again, in some of the entities we work with cl for clients, it, it may be one of the family members who is a beneficial owner who's also a manager. So that might be more streamlined. But when we have more active businesses that are trying to make money and, and regularly engaged in business that have presidents, treasurers, secret, you know, there may be more reporting uh, of individuals in those organizations than in others. So I, I find beneficial owner to be a little bit of a misnomer, right? I mean, I hear owner and I think, oh, do I have ownership or not? But it's really beneficial owner or control person is kind of how I've been thinking about it because it's that ownership, but it's also that control. So you might be on the board of directors of a small company and you might have to report because you've got some control over, over that. So I think I think that's interesting and, and important for people to remember that Again, kind of going back to your casting a wide net, we're casting a wide net really for people that quote unquote own or control here. So, um, okay, so kind of jumping subjects a little bit, but kind of sticking on this beneficial owner idea. You know, in our world, we deal a lot with trusts. And so, you know, automatically I kind of think, okay, well, how does this apply to, to trust? I think from what you said earlier, a trust is not a reporting company because it's a, it's not a legal entity that files with the Secretary of State. But I assume that trusts are go going to get caught up in this through some of those beneficial owner control issues. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So most states that get, uh, sorry, most trusts that get created are not created through filing any sort of, um, you know, uh, it isn't through any statutory means through a secretary of state. So you're right. Trusts, generally speaking, are not reporting companies. Um, however, Again, as many of our listeners may be aware of because they've done it themselves or they've helped people do it, um, trusts are often owners of in, in reporting companies. So in an LLC, an LP, uh, an S or a C corporation, um, or they might actually, the, the trustee may also be a, a manager of one of these entities as well. So that's where trusts get caught up in this is typically because they may either have substantial influence and control over an entity by way of their ownership interests, um, 
or just have ownership interests and maybe they're passive and don't do much more uh, than that. So trusts do fall under this beneficial owner consideration. Um, and in terms of who in the trust has to potentially be reporting their this information on beneficial ownership, um, I think we can safely say, and and Teresa, you and I have been, you know, uh, listening to a lot of um, industry experts and, and been a lot of conversations to try to understand again how far of a how far to of a net to cast. Um, the trustees of a trust that ha have an ownership interest in a reporting company, um, likely a, a beneficial owner that it has to report information a trust beneficiary. So again, the point of the law is to look down and through, not just to layers of sort of managers. They want to know who the underlying owners are. And in a trust, the trustee may be the one who is controlling and managing the assets, but it's for the benefit of the beneficiaries. So individuals typically. So we're going to look through the trust um, and look at the beneficiaries to see, you know, the beneficiaries that have the sole recipient of income in principle or have the right to demand distributions or withdraws or could demand, you know, most of the assets um, that would be beneficiaries. We'd be interested people who are creating trust, the trust grantors, especially if they've retained a right to revoke the trust or withdraw the trust assets. So, again, it's this idea of who, who has the right to kind of take over ownership of the trust assets? So we have the trustee at one level, but then we have the beneficial owners. And to the extent the beneficial owners or the beneficiaries are deemed to have kind of a lot of power over the trust assets, then they are likely going to get pulled into this reporting obligation. And I think this is one of those areas we're still waiting for more regulations on from FinCEN in terms of, you know, kind of give us more guidance in terms of, you know, how far do we need to look, you know, what are the different roles that some, you know, people might play in a trust, you know, how applicable is this to, to some of the other roles that, you know, like a trust protector, for example. So I think this is kind of one of those rules that we still need more information on to fully know how much it will impact trust. But I think, as you said, kind of, I think, the start of it is certainly the trustee and, and certainly some beneficiaries and possibly the grantor for like a revocable trust or something like that. And I think it's important to note that, and we'll talk a little bit more about this. I mean, we're effectively 40 days away from January 1st, 2024, when some of these reporting requirements are going to take effect. And we still don't have the, the actual report that FinCEN will be asking people to file. So I think FinCEN is not yet ready to yeah. answer all these questions. So there will be a period of time where, you know, we there may be over-reporting or under-reporting um, and hopefully some leeway, although we we can't we can't promise leeway, but hopefully there'll be a period of time where more regulations will come out with more instructions on how to deal with some of these nuanced questions that right now we're working at sort of high level definitions and haven't gotten into the nitty gritty yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of our, a lot of people, we talk to a lot of our clients, they might have ownership in multiple entities or they might be the manager of one entity and own another. So this can be pretty cumbersome in terms of making sure that you've provided the information, that you keep the information updated. So I know FinCEN has talked about having a FinCEN identifier to possibly reduce kind of the amount of information that has to be given in every report. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how that would work? 
Yeah. So the FinCEN identifier is a unique identifying number that will be issued by FinCEN to an individual after an individual has electronically submitted effectively all the personal information <laughs> that they otherwise are required to give the company when the company's filing one of these reports. So their name, their home address, their government issued ID number and a picture of that ID, right? They still want this information. But as you said, there's going to be instances where because I'm managing an LLC and I'm an owner of multiple LLCs and whatnot, it's going to be so cumbersome to have to go to each individual company that I maybe have an interest or reporting requirement to and constantly be providing this exact same information. So this FinCEN identifier is potentially a way to streamline it. I upload this information, I get personally as an individual, this FinCEN identifier, and then I can give that to every company that I might be deemed to either have, I'm a beneficial owner in, or I'm a substantial controller of, or manager of. Um, I can give that identifier to all these entities and they can su just submit my, my identification number that was provided by FinCEN and they don't personally have to upload or provide all this personal information on each of their individual applications. So I think we will see that in many instances, companies will ask all the people who want or they need to report on to maybe seek these ID numbers. And I think individuals, if you're listening to this and you say, gosh, I, I have, there, there's more than one entity that I might be having to be reporting myself, my personal information because of the various roles I play, um, you know, it might behoove you to, to look into getting one of these ID numbers. Um, I will say that the beneficial owner is the one again, or the, the individual is the one who obtains this FinCEN number. And then they are the ones that are required to keep their information current. So if I move home addresses or my passport expires, I get a new one and that has a different number on it than maybe my last one. It's really my obligation to keep FinCEN updated on my personal information. It sounds like it really streams, streamlines the process by you giving the information once One time. The num yep, and then giving the number to however many entities it applies to, which seems like it would be much easier on the individuals as well as the companies. And it prevents me from having to give a lot of my personally protected information to a bunch of entities because like, how am I sending it to them? Am I giving it yeah. by email? Technically, companies, everybody who's listening, if you're not, if you ever sending your personally identifiable information, your home address, your ID numbers, your social security number, anything, you should be doing it through a secure encrypted email portal or some other way. So I think this FinCEN identifier also allows all of us as much as we can to help protect our own information. So mm -hmm. I, I foresee that this FinCEN number will become pretty popular, but again, the rule hasn't gone into effect yet. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Okay, so speaking of the rule going into effect, we know that it starts January 1st, 2024, but what are some of our deadlines for filing this you know, beneficial ownership information report? Okay. So let's start with existing companies, because as of right now, the rule hasn't gone into effect. So if, if, if we're listening to it uh, and you, if it's before January 1st of 2024, uh, we're, we're talking about existing entities. And so for existing entities, the good news, if we're going to find some 
you know, a silver lining in all of this uh, new rule craziness is um, the initial report to FinCEN on the company the and all the beneficial owners or substantial controllers is not going to be due before January 1st of 2025. So that's an extra year, even though this rule goes into force on January 1st of 2024, existing entities are not going to be responsible for providing all this information until January 1st of 2025. So cross your fingers. Our big hope is we will have more insights from FinCEN, regulations, instructions, dealing with some of these unknowns that we've kind of thrown out today uh, so that when it comes time for existing entities report, we feel more comfortable with the, the process and what needs to be reported. Uh, so, then, so that's what for about, existing companies. So, so then what about new companies? Because obviously if somebody creates something on January 2nd, you know, they might be in a different bucket. So what do they have to worry about? Yeah. So for new, for new entities that start in 2024, um, the reports are going to be due within 30 calendar days of um, setting up the company. So unfortunately, there's not a lot of time. So if you create a new entity in 2024, as part of that entity formation, you should also be looking at um, this FinCEN report and reporting this information because it's a 30-day window. So it's probably behooves people to get that information, kind of get all that information lined up and ready to go before they hit send on that LLC, the new LLC formation documents or whatever, so that they're ready to then turn around and file within 30 days. Yep, that would make sense. So then are we done after that or what else do we need to worry about? Well, you also have to worry about, again, changes to either the, the, the company or to the beneficial owners. Um, you have to report that as well. So this isn't just file it once and be done to the extent that you're changing information about the company or the beneficial owners are either changing themselves or meaning like we have new owners coming in and out or new controllers coming in and out, but also for existing beneficial owners, if they move their home address, like I mentioned, things like that, that technically is supposed to be reported by the company. Of course, though, if someone gets this FinCEN identifier, then I don't believe, what we, again, we have to see. Um, I don't know that the company has to go back and report that as long as FinCEN knows about the changes for the beneficiary, for the individual. And so, you know, of course, with all of these rules, we often hear about fees or penalties. So, you know, what happens if a company doesn't do this or a beneficial owner doesn't comply? You know, what do we need to be thinking about in terms of the, the consequences for not following these rules? Yeah, so I think FinCEN is, is, is um, you know, they mean business by creating these rules. This isn't, this is sort of an information return, right? There's like no taxes associated with this. You don't have to pay FinCEN to file this or to create an, you know, that's that's not what this is. This isn't a revenue necessarily raiser, but they're serious about wanting this underlying information about these beneficial owners and these entities. So um, although there's no filing fee, there is, you know, potentially substantial penalties for non-compliance. So under the rules as they have been issued, um, you know, uh, you can incur a civil penalty of up to $500 a day or um, and a criminal fine of up to $10,000 or imprisonment for up to two years for not following these rules. Again, we don't have who pays that 
penalty? Is it the company? Is it the individuals? That's all not quite clear yet. What is clear is they want people to comply. Um, and similar with, I think, a lot of the rules that came down for foreign reporting uh, or U.S. individuals reporting on foreign assets under FACTA and other rules, you know, we see that the IRS, they do charge penalties for people who do not comply. I think the idea here is the same. I don't know that they're just trying to penalize anyone who mistakenly missed something, but it's key that they want people following these rules and paying attention. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot here, <laughs> I think, you know, and I think there's, you know, as you said, you know, I, th I think we know, you know, the basic rules, you know, who's the reporting company, who are the beneficial owners or the substantial controllers, if you will. Um, but we still have a little bit to find out. And there's there's a chance some of these rules still might change before the end of the year. I think, you know, there have been some proposals thrown out there, nothing that's been adopted as of, as of the date, at least we're recording this. But I think this is one of those issues that people really need to be aware of. So thank you so much for kind of outlining the main points to be thinking of, to be aware of, so that as clients, you know, or anybody listening to this who has an entity already, be thinking about this, be talking to your advisors about what you need to report, how to get ready to report. And as you go forward with some of your planning, thinking about creating these entities, think about how this these rules might impact that planning and, and what you want to do going forward. So thank you for listening and thank you, Caroline, for sharing your wisdom. Thank you. Well, as Caroline and I mentioned, the rules for the CTA could change before the end of the year. And in fact, they did just a few days after we recorded our podcast. So I'll leave listeners today with a final update, or at least what's final as of this particular recording. On November 29th, Vincent announced that it was changing the deadline for certain reporting companies to file their beneficial ownership information report. Under this new rule, for new reporting companies created or registered on or after January 1st, 2024, and before January 1st, 2025, the deadline is now 90 days after the creation of that entity. So the new rule extends the deadline during that first year from 30 days to 90 days. For entities created or registered on or after January 1st, 2025, the deadline continues to be 30 days after the creation of the entity to file that beneficial ownership information report. All right, that is our update as of December 1st, and hopefully um, no other changes will be made. But as Caroline and I mentioned originally, these rules really probably will continue to change, so it's important to stay up to date on what's happening um, with FinCEN. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Wealth Planning Illuminated. We hope you found this topic interesting and that you will continue to explore the variety of wealth planning topics available to you on this channel. Thank you and have a great day. CIBC Private Wealth Management includes CIBC National Trust Company, CIBC Delaware Trust Company, CIBC Private Wealth Advisors Incorporated, all of which are wholly owned subsidiaries of CIBC Private Wealth Group, LLC, and the private banking division of CIBC Bank USA. All of these entities are wholly owned subsidiaries of Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce. This document is intended for informational purposes only, and the material presented should not be construed as an offer or recommendation to buy or sell any security. Concepts expressed are current as of the date of this publication only may change without notice. Such concepts are the opinions of our investment professionals, many of whom are chartered financial analyst charter holders or certified financial planner professionals. 
Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards Incorporated owns the certification marks CFP and Certified Financial Planner in the U.S. There is no guarantee that these views will come to pass. Past performance does not guarantee future comparable results. The tax information contained herein is general and for informational purposes only. CIBC Private Wealth Management does not provide legal or tax advice, and the information contained herein should only be used in consultation with your legal, accounting, and tax advisors. To the extent that information contained herein is derived from third-party sources, although we believe the sources to be reliable, we cannot guarantee their accuracy. The CIBC logo is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Investment products are not FDIC insured, may lose value, and are not bank guaranteed.